Good morning. It's so good to have you here at Randall Church this morning. Uh, we are moving and transitioning into a new series today on First Peter. So if you'll take your Bibles, go to the New Testament. I will be in First Peter today. Uh, I'd like you to finish a few statements for me. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. There's some joke that goes with that. Actually, wasn't where I was going. Uh, and uh, I dare not trust the sweetest frame. In Jesus' name, it's the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand, right? Uh, one of our staff, I'm, I'm Milo Wilson. I'm the pastor at Renewal Church, the church plant out of Randall here. And one of our staff members, uh, his name is Joe LaDuca. Uh, he works with our students and he is in Europe right now. He is, his wife has planned every second of 15 days in Europe. I mean, they are going to see everything you can possibly see. And uh, he is not a planner whatsoever. So he is just happy to, you know, jump in her purse and, and go wherever she tells him to go. But one of the things that's on their list of things to do is the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Has anyone seen this before? A couple of you. I have never seen it in the least bit. But it's not famous because of its height, is it? No, it's 179 feet tall. It's not famous because of its architecture. Uh, there's a, a number of buildings with that same architecture from that same Romanesque area. It's famous for one reason. It's famous because it leans, and it's famous because it's falling down, and year by year by year, centimeter by centimeter, this building, this place is going down. Uh, the word Pisa itself means marshy ground. Now, we don't have a lot of marsh here in Buffalo. Uh, I lived in South Carolina for almost 10 years, and uh, if you've seen Forrest Gump, that's where it was filmed, in Beaufort, South Carolina, where I was at. So if it looks like Bubba Gump shrimp, it came from Beaufort, South Carolina. And that whole area is marsh, and everything there when it comes to a foundation is very weak and unstable. And uh, when, when we were there, I, as a summer job or a spring, spring break, sometimes I was in college, I would work with the shrimp boat companies, actually, and, and worked on a shrimp boat. I only went fishing a few times. I was building docks. And they had a side business that a uh, lawyer or someone who, who is very well off would buy a small island. And a lot of times, they couldn't actually get to the island itself to build. And they would hire us to build a 100, 200, 800-foot dock to be able to get supplies from where water was onto the dock. And because um, the... The, the marsh, the way that it is, uh, the water, the tide will come in and it'll go out. There's a 12-foot rise and fall there of the tide. And so we would go, they would give us gas to run a generator, and they would give us the nail guns and all the supplies that we would need, and we would go up to, uh, on high tide, we would go into where the dock was being built, and then the tide would go out. And we would work for the next eight hours because you're not going anywhere. Our boat was sitting in mud. I mean, there was no chance uh, we were going anywhere. Uh, also in that area, though, my wife and I, we got married in 2001. In 2003, we bought and built our first home, our first house we built in that region. They don't dig basements in that region uh, because of the, the marshland isn't everywhere that you look. Uh, if you, how many of you had a house built for you before? A few of you, right? A few of you had a house built. So if you've ever gone through that process, they ask you what color you want the cabinets to be, what, what the wood will look like. And you have all these little chips that are two inches by two inches, and you're supposed to visualize what the entire house is going to look like based on these little speckles of what your countertops are going to look like. And then they bring all these different uh, 
sinks in front of you and this is the sink that you want and you want it to match the bedroom and, they, and they're always trying to upcharge you. This is what the flat rate is, but you know, really, you and I both know that you need that silver sink to go into this place, uh, that platinum sink or whatever it is. Like they really try to upcharge you. But you know one thing that they never ever asked me about? They said uh, on your list of options, uh, here's a house uh, that doesn't have a foundation. Would you like this one? Or we have different levels of foundations that you can have. Uh, this foundation will last you approximately three to five years. This foundation will last you, you know, 10 to 15 years. However, that's just not logical, right? There's a foundation that has to be built. Uh, today, uh, we're going to talk about how our foundation is not optional. Uh, we're going to talk about First Peter here. Uh, we're in a series that's called Living Hope, and we'll be here for the next number of weeks uh, as each of the pastors rotate through in our rotation here. I'll be back in a couple of weeks, and we'll continue this process of digging into First Peter. And we're going to look at this idea of living hope being the foundation of all we do, but hope is not the foundation, and we're going to dig into that a little bit deeper here today. Uh, the author is Peter. The book is named after Peter. He has First Peter, and then he writes another second letter that we see as Second Peter. Peter is not his original name. He was given that name by Jesus Christ. His original name is Simon. Uh, but it's an overarching statement for our sermon here today. I want you to hear this. Uh, Peter was a pebble who put his trust in a boulder. Peter found living hope and then taught others how to build on the solid rock. That's where we're going today. So stay with me, all right? First, Peter was a pebble there's a number of inaccuracies about Peter. Uh, in our area, we live in a heavily Catholic area, and one of the misconceptions is it's, it's wide out there is that Peter was the first pope. Uh, that his, when, when Jesus established him, that I'm going to build the church on you, Peter, is the way that that's read there in the Catholic Church, uh, that he's going to be the first pope. There's a few problems with that. The fact that Peter is married is, is part of a problem with him being the first pope. Uh, his mother-in-law lived with him. That would be reason enough not to be a pope. Uh, his wife is mentioned in Mark chapter 1, 29, and then again in 1 Corinthians 9. Uh, Peter's the, the brunt of some bad jokes, you know, where you walked into heaven, but Peter was at the gate, and he didn't allow you to come in because you had to answer these four questions or whatever it is. Uh, the, the idea that Peter is standing at the gates of heaven to keep people in or out, like that's a misconception about Peter. So let's talk about who Peter really is. First, Peter was an avid fisherman. Peter is an avid fisherman. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Can we catch up that slide there? Matthew 4, verse 18. While walking, oh, we can't see this, can we? Well, you're going to have to turn with me then. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Let's get there. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Verse 19. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers. Of men. Verse 20, immediately they left their nets and followed him. He's an avid fisherman. Jesus calls him out of his craft. He calls him out of the family business and he calls him away and he says these three things. Come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. As a church, we, we talk about many of the things regarding upward, inward, outward. This is a great verse to be able to see that. Come follow me. He was saying, have a relationship with God himself through his son, Jesus Christ. I will make you. I will mold you. I will disciple you. I will form you. And then I will make you fishers of men. Then you're going to be sending out. You're going to be going and doing as that outward direction as well. We see that all captured here in one verse. But let's, let's remember the fact Peter as a pebble was an avid 
fishermen. Secondly, Peter was a leading disciple. Peter was a leading disciple. See, all the rabbis had disciples. Uh, they had people who would follow them around that they would teach and, 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 and show them different concerns of the day. Uh, but Jesus described discipleship very narrowly. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. If you can see it, here it's on the screen. And he said to all, If any would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, not just once, but daily. Take up his cross daily and follow me. This is how Jesus described what the disciple was going to be. This is very different from the other rabbis of the day who said, Come and I will teach you all this information and knowledge. He said, No, if you want to follow me, being a disciple, following me means daily taking up your cross and following me. And that does not change today. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, it is not an easy process. But we will never experience the thrill that God has for us in life or experience what his will for our life is until we understand that that's really what the call to be a disciple is. To take Take up the cross daily and follow him. Thirdly, Paul is stumbling towards redemption. Paul is stumbling towards redemption. If you've read about Paul before and understand that he as a disciple was constantly messing things up. And he was constantly falling and stumbling forward, but God continued to use him. He continued to redeem his foolishness and turn it into something beautiful. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 verse 28. Peter began to say to him, Peter's audacious enough to say this to Jesus, see, we have left everything to follow you. He said, we, we need a chance here to pat ourselves on the back. Look at what we've done for you, Jesus. Aren't you lucky to have these 12 men following with you? And he said, wait, 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 wait a minute here. Verse 29, Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one left who has left a house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, 30, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mother and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come an eternal life. But many who are first will be last and in the last first. He's putting Peter in his place. He's saying, you can stumble through this, Peter. Uh, we're going to redeem what you have to say. But first, you have to understand, the first will be last. The last will be first. There's, there's times where Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. Because of his, the way that he approaches things. The way that he is impulsive. He is stumbling forward towards redemption. Uh, if you remember in John 13, he says, one of you will betray me. And who's the first one to speak out? He actually doesn't speak. This is at the, the Lord's Supper, at the, the dinner table that he's having with them. We're about to, to celebrate that in a few minutes. But uh, he, he says, one of you is going to betray me. And you can see in John 13 that Peter actually makes hand gestures. He's basically going, he's pointing at everyone in the room. Me? You know, like, it, he's the guy that says the stuff that everyone is thinking, but actually says it out loud. He said also in that same meal, he said, all of you are going to leave me. And he said, oh, I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. And Jesus says, as you know, before the cock crows three times. You will deny me tonight. When they came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, who is the one who jumps to defend Jesus with his knife and tries to cut off the soldier's head and it takes off his ear? It's Peter. It's Peter who responds quickly. He is stumbling towards redemption because what does Jesus do? He stops everything. He says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. And if you remember that scene, Jesus is in the middle. There's, the crowd gathers around him and he speaks the word. He says, who is it you are trying to see? And they said, we're looking for Jesus. He said, I am he. And what happens? He literally, the power of God, blows the people away from him and knocks him on the ground. Everyone in a circle around him, a radius around him. And he says, who are you looking for again? Because he knew who he was. 
He didn't need Peter. So he takes the man's ear and sticks it on the side of his head. He says, there you go. And he's healed. Peter put his trust in a boulder. Peter put his trust in a boulder. That's just Jesus Christ. There's three phases to that. First, there was a name change. Then there was a status change. And then there was a heart change. Let's talk first about the name change. It's not uncommon for the Lord to change people's names. If you, if you know the Old Testament, Abraham's name, Abram was changed to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. In the New Testament, he calls James and John, he calls them the sons of thunder. Come here, boys, the sons of thunder. That's what he changed his name to. But Peter, he changed his name from Simon to Peter. This is Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 15. He, says, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Verse 17, and Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. 18, and I tell you, you are Peter. He changed his name. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We're going to go a little bit deeper there in just a minute of the name change itself and what that meant for him to be the rock, Petra. Your name is Peter. You're no longer going to be known as Simon, but you're going to be known as Peter. Interestingly enough, there are many times in Scripture, after he has this name change, that Jesus himself will refer to him as Simon when he's doing worldly, foolish things. And then he refers to him as Peter when he's doing things of the Lord. That name change was significant in his life. And it's a tradition that we still use today. When you get married, you change your name because it's significant. There's been a significant change in your life. Ladies do, anyway. He was changed from a disciple to an apostle. There was a status change. From a disciple to an apostle. This is Matthew chapter 10. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them the authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. You see the change, the change there? He calls them disciples in the first verse and then changes it to apostles. Are these? The first one, Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These are now the apostles. There's a status change. You took him from being a disciple to being an apostle. Those who were apostles were those who had been with Christ. Paul was called himself an apostle because he met Christ on the Damascus Road. He could call himself an apostle. An apostle speaks of an expedition that would go out and represent a king and his kingdom. That's what an apostle was. A disciple was a follower, but an apostle was going to go out and represent that kingdom elsewhere. Thirdly, he had a heart change. After Peter denied Jesus after the resurrection, there was a heart change. Jesus went to Peter and commissioned him, and he did it three times in a very similar fashion to the three times that he stood and denied Christ. You were with these men, weren't you, Peter? No, I know nothing of him. He did that three different times, and as you know, as he says it the third time, Jesus turns and makes eye contact with him. And in that moment, as he makes eye contact with him, what happens? It's morning, the rooster crows, just like he had said hours before at that meal together. He denied him Three times, just as Jesus had said. But Christ uses that as a tool to commission him three times as well. This is in John chapter 21. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, notice he's calling him Simon here. 
has finished breakfast because there has been a large catch. The, the disciples have gone out fishing and they've maybe returned to their old ways. They assume that Jesus, the son of Nazareth, the Messiah, has died. He is dead. He is with them no longer. But now he is walking the earth. He's interacting with them. And when he comes back, he gives them this great catch by the sea to remind them of what he did when he pulled them out of their fishermen ways before. And now he is there with them and he says, okay, we've eaten a meal together. Now, Simon, Peter, let's talk about this. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. You see how it changed names there? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. At this point, there is a heart change in Peter. He restored Peter. He entrusted his flock to Peter. Peter had a deep heart change. He went on to preach Pentecost where 3,000 were saved. This was not the same Peter who was making a fool of himself and a mockery of the kingdom of God. Instead, he was able to speak cognitively. Why? Because there was a heart change. He went and he preached to Cornelius, who was the first Gentile who was saved. Why did he do that? Because God was stirring and moving inside of his heart. And when he did that, he was forced, he compelled to go out and share the gospel. And then he oversaw and, and, and encouraged the growth of the church in Antioch, which became known as one of the greatest sending churches in the region. This is what Peter learned. This is who Peter was. And in fact, the first time that church is used, the word church is used in Scripture, is when Jesus commissions Peter and says, upon this rock I will build my church. And it's not the rock of Peter himself, but of what he's saying, that Jesus Christ, this boulder, Jesus Christ, upon him, upon this statement that you have made, I will build my church. And that's exactly what Peter did. How does he do that? Number three, Peter has found a living hope. And you're going to see this theme going through this entire series this living hope that Peter has found. And by doing that, he lives his life differently. There's a change, and, and there's some joy that comes from finding things. I've got a puppy. Uh, we got her about a year ago. She uh, it was, yeah, it was right when school went back. Uh, sadly, at Christmas time, uh, we, we had a whole routine for this puppy of how she went to the door and different things like that when people came. But at Christmas time, we had all these packages being delivered because uh, it, it's Christmas, and so you're ordering things online and, that, and whatnot. And the package came to the front door. My wife went to the front door, opened the door. The dog ran out the door, out into the street, went across the street, and then she called her back, and immediately she came running back, and she got hit by a car. That's sad. Thank you for all of you dog lovers out there. Yes, it is sad. She didn't break any bones. She tore some ligaments, so she's now paralyzed. She has all four limbs, but she kind of swings one around. She's kind of a gimp. I mean, she's a poor thing. She's a dog, but she's, it's sad. She hops around and swings this thing around, right? Some of you are sad. Look at all the puppy dog tears. Thank you so much for that. But right now I'm teaching our semi-three-legged dog some tricks that are unique to her because she's got three legs and she hops around and she makes a mess different than other dogs do. We have to put a boot on her foot because uh, she'll drag it and sometimes she'll get blood on her, you know, and she drags the blood through the house. It's disgusting. Anyway, that wasn't the point. So I'm teaching the dog 
We've got four kids in the house, and our house is crazy enough as it is to have a three-legged flopping dog, you know, dragging itself around the house. And so I've begun to teach. She's a smart dog. I've begun to teach her. Now I have a basket next to the couch where I like to sit and watch television after the kids go to bed. And so uh, part of our like 10 minutes, we get the kids to bed and we just kind of set the alarm for 10 minutes and we'll just clean up everything that we can see in those 10 minutes and put it away and then crash on the couch. And, and that's our lives at this point. <laughs> Some of you know exactly where that is. But I felt upset with the dog because she was not pulling her weight. She made a lot of this mess in the house, and she could clean it up just like the rest of us. And so I've been teaching her, and she's doing pretty well. I'll, I'll tell her to go find your toys, and then when she comes to me, I'll tell her to put it away, and she puts it in her basket, and then she goes and finds another one. She's doing a great job. It's pretty fun to watch. So then now, uh, now that she's picked up the toys that are out, now we start specifically setting out toys and telling her to go look for them. The joy on the face of this three-legged floppy puppy when she finds her toy that she's looking for. She doesn't even know what she's looking for. But the joy that's on her face, she's searched the house. She's run all over and she's flopped and she's fallen and she's slapping around the house. And she gets the toy and she brings it back and she drops it in the basket. And she's like, you think I am top dog, right? Very exciting stuff. Last year, just before Thanksgiving, for the first time, uh, we decided to go to New York City uh, with four kids and uh, experience that phenomenon um, with four kids with a stroller and all the different things. And we got to be, it was totally by accident, we got to be there when they delivered the tree that, that goes to be the huge Christmas tree. Uh, there was nothing on it at that point. They just delivered it and they kind of were sticking it in the ground. It was so neat to be there. And we're watching it. And then my son Elias, who at the time was about nine months old, starts crying and we realize somewhere within the last four blocks or so, he's thrown his pacifier out into the street in New York City. Now, he's our fourth child. So what did we do? We started retracing our steps and went back through the city. And we looked everywhere. And there's the joy of finding a pacifier on the streets of New York City that I tell you, you would not believe how exciting that was to find that. And he's our fourth, so we put it back in his mouth and went on his way. <laughs> Peter, in many ways here, he has found the wellspring. He has found it. He has searched and he's found it. And now he has such joy going forward because there's the wellspring of how this thing works. Being a disciple of Christ, being an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's figured out the source of it. We're in 1 Peter now. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He's found it. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy. The source is God's abundant mercy. He says, have you seen the life that I lived? I walked with Jesus Christ myself and I made an absolute full of myself, but the source of this abundant mercy that he has shown me has changed my life forever. He's found it. He caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the source is God's abundant mercy. The means by getting there is Christ's resurrection. If Jesus did not die on the cross for our sins and then rise again from the dead, then this would not be possible he has caused us to be born again into what? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
born again. It was like you had never been alive before. Uh, Jesus talks with Nicodemus about this. And he said, and Nicodemus says, must I go back into my mother's womb to be born again? No, the idea of being born again, it was as if you'd never been alive before, in this way before. Because now there is a living hope that drives, that presses, that pushes. Christians have a hope that other people just cannot and do not have. We walked through a very difficult season with my family and our lives of being in the hospital with our son in an ICU for month after month after month. And I will tell you, over time you start to realize that you have a hope, a drive, a desire that the rest of the world does not have when you have that living hope that is founded in Jesus Christ. You can go places, you can do things that you never thought were possible. Thoreau had this statement. He said, most men lead lives of quiet desperation. If you look through the eyes of Peter, his life was very routine. The job of being a fisherman was not all that exciting. There was a few storms that would come and go, but it was a pretty routine job. You do the same thing. You provide, uh, provide the fish for the market, and they would be seasonal, and they would go through this process again and again and again. It was very monotonous. But Jesus walked into Peter's life, and he said this, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And all of a sudden, the living hope that wells up inside of Peter, this is not the same life that I used to live. Hope burns in his heart. Life is no longer monotonous. God has given him a new purpose, a new direction. He is born again. And he was born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How do we know that Jesus Christ rise from the dead, rose from the dead? At Easter, National Geographic, the Discovery Channel, they will run through a thousand different ways to either disprove that Jesus Christ was born or was risen from the dead or prove it. They'll run all kinds of different things. But the evidences that are most important are this. Three evidence. Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection before it ever happened. He said, I will die and I will come again. Then you have an individual group of eyewitness accounts. It is not just one person who said this. There's a number of people. And most of the arguments that you'll see on the Discovery Channel or on National Geographic Channel, those type of things, most of the arguments are the same arguments that are documented in Scripture. They came and stole the body away. That's really the strongest argument that can still be made, and yet in Scripture it's documented that that was not going to be a plausible excuse. But really, the third and maybe the most important is the changed lives of people like Peter who were driven to do things they never thought possible. Number four, Peter built on the solid rock. Peter built on the solid rock. He had timeless faith. The question is not whether we have faith. Each of us has faith. An atheist has faith that his reasoning has removed all possibility of God. So he has faith in his own intellect and reasoning. Other has faith in their abilities, their skills, their connections, their friends, their families, or themselves. But faith is something that we all live in. Everyone has faith. But where is your faith's foundation? Verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You know many people who are fad people. They get on whatever the bandwagon is at the time. Some of it is easiest to see through people's dress or their dress code or the way that they look. And if you don't believe me, just flip through your class yearbook and you'll see what I'm talking about. There are are things that pass and, and change over time. Over the last 20 to 30 years, things have changed significantly. But Jesus never 
change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Tested faith. How do you know that the faith in Christ will hold up during the storms of life? Why should I trust in Christ? Because this is no ordinary faith. This is a tested faith. Verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Countless people have placed their faith in Christ and found that the solid rock foundation holds up. Peter survived some incredible storms in his life. When we look over his life, we look through the book of Acts, what he survived there. And when he said that the faith holds up, I found the faith of Christ to be put to the test and it holds up. Why? Thirdly, because it's true faith. In our postmodern world, we often hear the, the argument, well, that's good for you, your group, your church, your denomination, your family, and this is good for me. So you do your thing, I'll do my thing, and we can kind of coexist here together and do our own things, and as long as we don't fight with each other, we'll be okay. It's okay for you to have your religion, but that is not what true faith really is. Peter had faith in Christ that was timeless. It was valuable. It was full of love. But that means if it worked for Peter, it should work for me as well. Almost as if Peter anticipates that question, he answers that question in verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is what? The salvation of your souls. The outcome of your faith is the salvation of your souls. Not just you. If you are growing, you are discipling, there are others who are coming along with you because the salvation of your souls is the outcome of your faith. Christianity is the only religion that cannot reinvent itself. Other religions are based on a philosophical basis. Other religions have been created out of the human mind. If they were all wiped from the face of the earth, someone could come along again and come up with a similar philosophy and recreate that religion. But our faith is built on prophecies of the Old Testament, prophecies of the Messiah who is coming. Our faith is built on Jesus. We believe he is the Messiah. He is the embodiment of the Old Testament prophecies. We believe that he died on the cross and he rose again. We believe that he is coming back. If Christianity were somehow destroyed, there is no way that we could recreate this in our minds. We could not. Why? Because Christianity is not built on a philosophy, an intellect, or creative speculations. Our, our, our basis, our foundation is built on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. There's historical fact that Jesus, God's only son, died on a Roman cross. Three days later, rose again. On a hill called Golgotha, he died in 30 AD. That space, that time cannot be created. It has been documented, and now he stands victorious over that because that's where faith truly holds. That's our foundation in the storms of life. That is the rock who is Jesus Christ. Have you come to grips with the fact that you are a pebble? You are a pebble. Celebrate Recovery is one of the ministries that we are involved with here as a church and at Renewal Church. The first step before you can get healthy, regardless of what your hurt, habit, or hang-up, is this. Realize that I am not God. I am powerless 
to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and my life has become unmanageable. I'm a pebble, and pebbles don't do a whole lot. Pebbles don't get very far. You don't build a very strong foundation on pebbles. Have you put your trust, secondly, in the boulder? Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ? When Jesus is there and he is meeting with the disciples and he, he speaks of, hey, what, what are people saying that I am? And some of them say that he is one of the prophets. Maybe you're uh, Elijah. Maybe you're Moses, one of the other prophets. Reincarnated, basically, is what they're implying. He spins around. It's almost as if they're walking together and he just stops, turns, and looks at them and he says, but who do you say that I am? This is what they say, but who do you say that I am? Have you put your trust in the boulder? Who do you say that I am? Maybe you need to hear that this morning. You've been coming to church here for years or in another church or another congregation or you've been around Christianity and you know what everyone else around you say, but Jesus is turning, looking at you and saying, but who do you say that I am? Thirdly, have you found the living hope? This whole book of 1 Peter, as we dig into, you are going to see emulating through a tremendous amount of suffering, there is a living hope that compels and drives there. Born again, just like you had never been alive before. All of a sudden, born into this living hope that drives and propels forward. One of the DNA statements we use that we would renew hope through relational discipleship communities, communities of us gathering together, there's hope that forms in that. There's hope that forms when a church is about doing things that is about living hope. When the church is about going out and serving and sharing and taking care of one another, that is different than any other organization that you can be part of. Why? Because there's something different if a group of people who are born again and live their lives as if there's something different about them compels them to do. During this season as a church, we're in transition. There's no question. There are many people who are living a life of living hope and, and propelling us forward. There are volunteers who are starting to come out of the woodwork to handle some of the things that in the past was handled by staff. There's, there's a living hope that is driving them forward. It's a renewed hope in Jesus Christ. I'll give you some examples just as an announcement, if you will. Uh, April in the back, you've seen probably a lot of the signs and different things like that. She is doing the Schumacher benefit. Why? Because out of their community group, there was a desire for them to serve their area, serve their neighborhood. There's a, a, a welling hope that springs up inside of them and they can't help but take care of the neighbor. Why is that? Because that's what the gospel is all about. Steve Seibel is going to help us out with community groups and, and leading and just and being able to facilitate leadership to the community groups. Why is he doing that? Because there is a living hope that wells up inside him and says, I can't stand still. Kathy is leading a, a women's study that is coming together as an elective that meets in an, an off elective hour, but it's going to be able to teach and train and develop people to do what? To live out their faith, this living hope that spreads and moves. Ed Benarchek is teaching one of the electives. He's not done that before. Why is he doing that? Because the living hope is burning inside of him. And if it is, if it's burning inside of you, you cannot stand still. You have to respond. Have you built on the solid rock? On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. My hope is built on nothing less. And Jesus' blood 
and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest friend, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand.